Good to see all of you out tonight. We're glad that you're here with us. Our scripture reading was the 23rd Psalm. And as you know, the ending verse, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a little story that I remember my grandpa telling. And uh, I had to find it online to make sure I, I told it right. But I thought I would share it with you before we begin our lesson. A mother was concerned about her kindergarten son, Timmy, walking to school alone. He didn't want his mother to walk with him. She wanted to give him the feeling that he had some independence, but yet know that he was safe. So she had an idea of how to handle it. Mother asked the neighbor if she would please follow him to school in the mornings, staying at a distance, so he probably wouldn't notice her. The neighbor said that since she was up early with her toddler anyway, it would be a good way for them to get some exercise as well, so she agreed. The next school day, the neighbor and her little girl set out, followed behind Timmy as he walked to school with another neighbor girl he knew named Susie. She did this for the whole week. As the two walked and chatted, kicking stones and twigs, Susie noticed the same lady following them as she seemed to do every day all week. Finally, she said to Timmy, have you noticed that lady following us to school all week? Do you know her? Timmy nonchalantly replied, Yeah, I know who she is. The little girl said, Well, who is she? That's Shirley Goodnest, Timmy replied, and her daughter Marcy. Shirley Goodnest? Who is she and why is she following us? Well, Timmy explained, Every night my mom makes me say the 23rd Psalm with my prayers because she worries about me so much. And in the Psalm it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So I guess I'll just have to get used to it. Uh, there's a, a line in there we're really going to pay attention to as far as our lesson for tonight is concerned, but I thought I would share that one with you. Our lesson for tonight is on heaven. And as we look at heaven, it's, it's probably one of the, the best lessons that anyone can do. Anything regarding heaven. Uh, it's just such a, a wonderful thing to think about. The word heaven. If you use it in different ways, we see that it can be used in different ways in scriptures. We think often of heaven as in the place where God dwells, the place that we want to go at the end of this life. But there are also other ways that, that heaven can be used. Uh, the heavens that He created. The heavens is in the space be, between the land and the universe. The sky, the firmament. When we go out and see the sky, we look up into the heavens. You see the birds flying in the heavens and things of that nature. And we also have the heavens as in the universe. Even beyond the sky that we can see, we know that there are stars and, and planets and that we would refer to also as the heavens. But tonight's lesson is going to focus in on that heaven that we long to be in. The heaven where we long to go to be with our Lord. The heaven of this lesson is the home of God where we have been promised that we may live one day as our eternal reward if we live faithfully for God. There are many things said in Scripture regarding 
the heavenly home. And our job is to take what it said, learn what it means, and apply it to our understanding of this glorious home. We begin by asking the question, what do we know about heaven? And similarly to how we did our lesson this morning, we're just going to look at some different verses and, and try to gain a good understanding of what heaven is. So these are what I would refer to as heavenly passages. Psalm 23 and verse 6 is where I want us to start. Surely goodness and mercy. Not surely goodness and mercy. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Although commentators of this verse are torn between a reference to the temple and to its worship, which David was for a time deprived, many believe this looked forward to David's eternity with God following all the days of my life. And I think that both could be applicable here. But either way you look at it, there is this idea that beyond this life, beyond this journey, there is something awaiting us in eternity. And that's kind of the idea that is presented. And some such as Benson's commentary think it to refer to both. Uh, maybe a little bit about the, the temple worship, but also looking forward into eternity. I wanted to read some of the words from, from his commentary. Whereas I have formerly been driven from God's house, I rest assured that I shall now constantly enjoy that blessed privilege of worshiping and enjoying God in His sanctuary, which I prize more than all my dominions. David's words here, however, look still further, even to a perfection of bliss in a future state, as if he had said, The divine goodness and mercy having followed me all the days of my life, when that is ended, I shall remove to a better world to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Under one shepherd, uh -oh, I skipped one, the house of my heavenly Father, in which there are many mansions where the church of God will constitute one fold under one shepherd, the fold into which no enemy enters and from which no friend departs where the servants of God rest from all their labors and see a period to all their sorrows, where the voice of praise and thanksgiving is heard continually, where all the faithful from Adam to his last-born son shall meet together to behold the face of Jesus and to be blessed with the vision of the Almighty, where they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them or any heat. But the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and lead them to living fountains of waters. Revelation 7, 16 and 17. And the last half of, of that is quoted from a man by the name of Horn. But whether or not it was meant to convey eternity, certainly it could be seen at the end of David's troubled life. We see that so often there towards the end, especially after his sin with Bathsheba, there's a lot of trouble in his life. And we can see comfort 
awaiting at the end of his days. Heaven is often referred to as a prepared place for a prepared people. And certainly it is. John chapter 14 verses 1 through 6 and words of comfort for his disciples before his departure from them. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Some more modern translations change that last word to rooms. In my Father's house are many rooms. And from an English standpoint, it makes sense. But I like what is conveyed in the word mansions. Something greater than anything that we could imagine. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Where was he going? He was going to be in heaven with his Father. He was going to prepare for them a place as he is preparing us a place. And how do we get there? We get there through Jesus. I know that I am, and I'm often directionally challenged. That's why I like the invention of the GPS. I use it quite often. But we don't have to get lost on this journey. We know the way. The way is through Jesus Christ. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Matthew 25 and verse 34 says similar. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So we see that heaven is not just something, it's not just some place that we're going to go. But I, I find it very interesting that it is referred to as a place that is being prepared for us. It's something that, that is in preparation as we speak. And what that preparation involves, I, I have no idea. But I know that it is something grand. We also know that one day, the books, if you will, will be opened. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12 and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. Now whether that's a literal book or not, we know a lot of the, the language in Revelation is figurative. But this book of life will be opened. All are going to be judged. And we talked about judgment a few weeks ago. 
all will be judged. And how will we be judged? We'll be judged according to their works, is what it says. And as it is stated in Matthew 25 and verse 34, the righteous will inherit the kingdom prepared for them. It is something that is awaiting those who live faithfully, those who are seen as righteous. And as we've looked at in the word righteousness also, this righteousness that, that we have is, is not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. There's nothing that we do that can make us righteous. There's nothing that we can do to earn that righteousness, but it is given by the Father. And it is conditional on our faithfulness. But the righteous, those who are found righteous, those who are judged to be righteous, will inherit the kingdom that is prepared. In Revelation 22, in verses 14 and 15, it says, Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. We read that the righteous are also granted access at the gates to this eternal home and the tree of life. Now we see that in that latter part of, of that passage that there are those who are going to be outside. And I can't think of, of any worse punishment than just to be outside of that heavenly home. Outside of the presence of God. Those who are wicked will be outside, and we know even worse, they'll be in a state of eternal punishment for their deeds. But as we look at this tree of life, the word life, it's more than just the life that we know. You see, whenever we look at life, we know that it has an end at some point. Today, I went to a funeral. A funeral of somebody that I knew from SportsCom. Somebody that had been coming since I started there about 15 years ago. And the preacher there, the Ted Beatty was the one that preached the funeral. And he said, you know, this is a time of, of mourning. But it's also a time of celebration. And so we see both at the end of, of the life that we, we live here on earth. And I remember thinking that, you know, one day, one day it'll be me. If time continues as it has, one day, I'll be the one in the casket. It'll be my funeral. We know that there's an end to this line. But that's not what's conveyed when we read of the tree of life. You see, the life that is found in this tree is eternal life. It, it never ends. I, I've tried to imagine eternity when I was younger. I remember closing my eyes and I tried, just tried to imagine it. And if you've ever done that, maybe you get the same feeling that I have that it, it just can't be seen. It, it just can't be comprehended. 
Our human minds can't fathom eternity. But that is what is found in the tree of life. We find its location in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. It's also mentioned in Revelation 22 verses 1 and 2. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. And we also find a previous location for this tree of life. In Genesis 2, verses 8 and 9, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground of the, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Is this literally going to be a tree? Again, we don't know. We don't know what heaven is going to look like exactly. But we know that life is offered in this tree. As we look at heaven, we understand that it is and it was a reward for the faithful. We read about it in Hebrews chapter 11. Verses 13 through 16. Hebrews 11 is the chapter that is known as the great hall of faith, if you will. In Hebrews 11 and verse 13 says, These all died in faith. All those that had been previously mentioned, and, and really all those that are mentioned in the chapter as faithful. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off were assured of them embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Those who died in faith, they, they couldn't see the end of the, of the promise that was made to them. But by faith, they could see it coming. They could see a reward coming to them. And as they continued in faith, and as they died in faith, that reward will one day be theirs. One of the greatest things about eternity that I could ever imagine is just the presence of God. Knowing that we can be in His presence for eternity. Never ending, but always in His presence. As we look at this world, we see that 
the tabernacle and the temple, they, they looked forward to God's dwelling with man. Uh, that was, uh, that, that's what it was symbolized in. That's where uh, people saw that God dwelt with them was within the tabernacle and the temple. And we know that now that God dwells within us. He dwells within us through His Spirit. Ephesians 2 and verse 22. And one day we will go to be with Him in His heavenly home. We read in Revelation 21 and verse 23. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Just knowing that God is present there is something to be desired. So heaven is going to be a great place. It's going to be a wonderful reward for those who are faithful. Now let's turn our attention what heaven means to me. We know a lot about what heaven is, but what does it really mean for each of us? And as we look at that thought, we see that heaven may mean different things for different people, depending on what your background is, what you've experienced in this life. There may be certain things about heaven that stand out more to you than, than they would to me. So heaven may mean different things for different people. In Revelation chapter 21, we have the, the first eight verses, which give a, a great depiction of what heaven might mean for some. Revelation 21, beginning with verse 1. Now, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Verse 6, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. And he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all life. <coughs> shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And this is a list that I made up of the things that it might mean to different people. For one who is weary 
of life on earth. Heaven will be new. All the old things will be passed away. Everything will be new in heaven. And we have so many possessions and sometimes we get tired of the old stuff and we want something new, something better, something improved. Everything in heaven will be new. For one who is poor and little known in the world, heaven is prepared for him. The one who has nothing, heaven is going to be a great gain. According to verse 2. For the married, heaven is described as a bride adorned for her husband. And that's something that some of us might pay more attention to. As we look at a wedding ceremony, we see that, that the bride is, is, is always the, the most beautiful. And she stands out. And, and the dress that she wears, it, it's usually white. It symbolizes purity. But she prepares herself. And usually, whenever we do pictures for weddings now, there's usually a first look picture. Or maybe it's within the ceremony some way. But a bride adorns herself for her husband. And maybe husbands will recognize that more than anything. But in verse 2, that's the way that heaven is described. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It is prepared for us. Just as a bride prepares herself for her husband, so heaven is prepared for those who will one day enter. For the lonely... Heaven means dwelling in the presence of the Lord, verses 3 and 7. There will be no loneliness in heaven. For the sad and brokenhearted, God will wipe away every tear from every eye, according to verse 4. And I wonder about the wording of that. I wonder what that means exactly. It doesn't say that there won't be any tears, but it says they are wiped away. So the tears that were once present will be wiped away by God Himself. For the hurt or ill, heaven is a removal of all pain. There won't be any aches and pains in heaven. You won't have trouble standing up after you've been sitting for a while. Uh, all the, the sicknesses and illnesses, all the disease that we face in this life, be gone. No more cancer. No more heart attacks. All those things be passed from this life. For the thirsty, it means access to the water of life. That they may drink freely from its fountain. Verse 6. For the orphan, heaven is their inheritance. Can you imagine what that would be like? For someone who has no family and, and really no possessions of their own, they find a family within God's family. They find a father in God Himself. And for someone who has nothing in this earth, heaven is going to be their inheritance. How wonderful. 
and the wicked are even mentioned here. Heaven is going to mean something for those who have lived wickedly in this life. Verse 8, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. For the wicked, heaven is a place that they will never know by sight or by experience. I'm sure that none of us want to be found in that number. But really, for everyone, heaven will mean something in some way. For Paul, heaven was the reward at the end of his earthly journey, his crown of righteousness given to him in eternity. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is, or which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all, to all who have loved his appearing. For all the, the pain and sorrow that he faced in life, for all the trouble that he went through in trying to spread the gospel to so many people, he had fought the good fight. He had kept the faith. He had finished the race. And at the finish of the race, there was a reward. A trophy, if you will. Heaven. The crown of righteousness. The presence of God. For John... Heaven was the fulfillment of a promise made in the form of a vision. Heaven was promised to be perfect. It is mentioned as a city, four square. It's evenly squared. Its materials symbolized great value. And in this city is found nothing defiling for me, to borrow the words of the song. It is perfectly protected. It has perfect provision for its residents. We will enjoy perfect fellowship. Our joy is perfected. But only those who are righteous may enter the city of perfection. And to be righteous, we must be cleansed and washed by the blood of the Lamb. Now, I titled this section, What Heaven Means to Me, and I, I guess that means that I have to come up with some kind of an answer of what heaven means to me. And I think that all the things that we have read about heaven tell me that I want to go there. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else, and especially not the alternative. Heaven is a wonderful place. It's perfect. It's, it's more than any of us could ever imagine. And it's being prepared for us. My God in Christ. Heaven. If you could imagine 
most perfect place on earth. Probably one of the best vacations I guess that we've ever been on. We went on a cruise for our honeymoon and we went to the Bahamas and beautiful weather and just wonderful places to visit. But even more perfect than any place that we could imagine on this earth is heaven. Better than we can imagine. And for, for me, to me, what I know about heaven makes me want to be there. Heaven means a, a rest from the life that we have lived. It means contentment. It means it's just perfection. What more can you say? And there are a lot of things that I don't know about heaven. The more I study it, the more I realize that I really don't know a whole lot. I believe that the descriptions that we have are, are figurative language to help us realize that it's a great place. But more than anything to me, heaven means presence with God. And that's what I long for the most. We have a taste of that in this life. We have the ability to be in God's presence. As, as long as we are faithful, we have the ability to talk to Him. We have the ability to read His words to us, His message to us, the Bible. But to be in His presence be even greater. Maybe I really don't know what heaven means to me. But I do know that it's a place I want to go. And it's a place where I can assure you, you want to be also. I don't know what your life is like. I, I don't know where you stand in your relationship with God. Maybe you're a child of God. And maybe you've wandered away. Maybe you need to come back. Maybe you've never obeyed the gospel form of baptism for the remission of your sins. But if there is some way that we can help you to become a Christian or to be faithful, to be right with Him, if there is something amiss in your life, something that needs to be corrected, if we can help you, we stand ready to assist you. Together we stand as